Hello, thank you for listening to Not The Top 20 meets Nigel Pearson. As ever, we're going to run through Nigel's experiences in football. He was a professional footballer, a defender with Shrewsbury Town, Sheffield Wednesday and Middlesbrough, a manager, of course, with Carlisle, Southampton, Leicester, Hull, Leicester again, Derby and most recently OH Leuven in Belgium. And in the early part of the 2000s, a first-team coach or assistant manager with Stoke City, West Brom, Newcastle and the England under-21. So a fascinating life in football and I'm very grateful to you for agreeing to be the latest guest on this series. <laughs> so, my pleasure. And uh, when, you, when I hear you talking like that, it just... Um it just shows how volatile the industry is because as a player in 18 years, three clubs and as a coach and manager, uh, plenty, plenty. I think around 10 jobs. So it, it, it just shows you that it's, it's, um, it's not straightforward to try and uh, work with uh, a long-term mentality in the management game. No, absolutely. Well, we, we, we're just really excited to hear all of your experiences, uh, as much as we can fit in, starting with uh, just the last few months. Uh, okay. Nigel, you, you've you left uh, Leuven in, in February. Um, Leuven. Leuven. Sorry, that's terrible. Um, that's <laughs> I'm a French speaker, but okay. is, Le, is Leuven in the it's, Flemish or the French? It's in, it's in the Flemish, but but where I lived, it's there is a, uh, a Wallonie, Wallonia. Yeah is um, the, the border's very, very close. So um, Leuven's, yeah, Leuven's uh, Flemish speaking. It's your first experience uh, in football outside of, of, of England. What was the, the experience like in, in Belgium? I'd like to get a feel for the, mm. for working uh, in the Belgian second tier, for example, mm. which I don't know much about, but I gather yeah. it's very hard to, to get out of exceptionally hard to get out of i mean just the format of it of uh, you know so few clubs um so eight clubs in in the division um they they decided to 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 revamp how it looked and it was i think what i found in in belgium in particular is is as you would probably expect it uh, because of uh, the european um political scene there's a lot of there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of um, political angles to it, so it's it, it's it, it's not straightforward. Um, it's such a complicated uh, system to work in. So eight clubs, you the, the two halves of of the season. Um, if you win the first half of the season and win the second half of the season, you get automatic promotion. But uh, if there are two winners to the two halves of the season, they play in a playoff. Uh, it, it's such a, it, it is a very, very difficult league to negotiate just mentally as much as anything. But I have to say, I, I really enjoyed the experience out there. It was, um, it was my first time abroad working. Although one of the jobs that you missed out is I worked for the FA for for. Uh, two and a half years as a national coach so I worked um, uh, partly as a coach educator and partly as a mainly as an assistant with the um, national youth teams and the other part of the the job was to was to go and watch games and so uh, games and tournaments 
both European and World tournaments. So I was exposed to uh, seeing how different countries worked. And, I, and even as a player, I always, uh, in my younger days, fancied the idea of working abroad, but obviously never had the opportunity. The international, uh, the job with the FA was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. It was it was very important for my development as a coach as well. But what it also gave me is an insight into yeah, just how different countries uh, work, operate. I mean, it, for instance, I, I, I was doing a, I was observing because England hadn't, um, hadn't progressed to to uh, this world tournament in Finland and uh, I came across Branko who I played with at Middlesbrough who was the administrator for the Bel for the uh, Brazilian uh, <laughs> under 20 side uh, under 19 side I just thought it was incredible that I'd seen him <laughs> in an administrative role but I, I said to him on on the day that I saw him can I come and watch the Brazilian uh, coaches work? And he said, yeah, no problem. And and I, I sat with them uh, after watching them train and said, you know, what is your philosophy? And it, it totally uh, it totally surprised me because what he said was something that I didn't expect. He said, all we do is work on defending. Everything else we just allow our players to play. And it was, you know, for, for a, a side that's renowned for its flair and its mm. ability to... to uh, to dismantle sides with um, with very talented technical players, it, it it did surprise me somewhat. But again, like I say, it's a bit of an insight into uh, you know exposing yourself to how different countries work. It's you know it's good. What? How would you explain the the style of, of play in Belgium and the the, the setup of teams okay. compared to maybe the second tier in England in the Championship or League One? Well, um, a lot of sides. Play well. The side that I coach, um, OHL, um, mainly played four-three-three, and uh, again, it's something I'm familiar with with working with the England national sides, because um, that's how we always uh, set up the the youth teams back in those early uh, back in the um, the times that I worked there, um, and for the most part, it was. Uh, there are plenty of sides who play four four two as well, but but four three three was the was the preferred um, way of playing for the team that I went to. So it was, you know, what I found very quickly is the game was very open. So um, it was very much a case of one team having an attack and then when losing possession, it's not really the the um, a, a high press to win it back in in the opponent's half. So it it, it was quite it was quite uh, quite an eye opener to to be playing end to end football. But what I would say is it was you know people ask me about how you can you know how do you compare one uh, B uh, and one A to the to the English leagues, and it's very difficult because the style is is that little bit different. Mm. But there are plenty of really good players, technical players, um, players with ability to to play in different formations as well. One of the things that struck me as well, um, you know, looking at the distances that players cover, um, 
seemed to be well not seem to be they were a lot lower than really? what I'd experienced say for instance in the championship with Leicester and certainly in the Premier League and and you know uh, cast my mind back to the days when I worked at uh, Newcastle with with Sam Allardyce who was very very big on overall team distances and uh, and individual distances in terms of how he set sides up uh, there was a huge shift in in what was expected and what was deemed to be normal so you know those things in isolation are uh, you, you know you you can't go in there and just be too heavy-handed it's it, 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 you have to sort of have a degree of flexibility to be able to to understand what it is that they are used to and, and understand uh, and give realistic uh, set realistic expectations as well so th there are always things in in the game that surprise you but I, but what I would say is the the similarities in terms of uh, what you look for with players um, was still there you know in terms of what I found was the humility of the players was fantastic I mean the, the the group of players that I worked with I really enjoyed working with them they were very receptive very knowledgeable as well uh, very coachable and I think um, again the, the games change very much in this country now where you look at uh, Certainly, my playing days there were not too many foreign players, and you would we didn't necessarily have a a coaching culture within the uh, within the game in the sense that uh, coaching qualifications weren't mandatory back in the sort of eighties and nineties, and even they only really uh, came into being uh, during my time at the FA. Really, so that would be a, you know the, around two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand and two where um, the Football Association uh, and I suppose then it would have been the, uh, we don't like mentioning the Premier League, but uh, the, the Football League and the Premier League um, agreed to, along with the, with the Federation, the FA, to make coaching qualifications mm -hmm. mandatory and that's, you know, I think that's been a uh, been a big help. But going back to what I was saying is maybe there was a perception that um, sometimes you had players that weren't coachable because it it wasn't really necessarily the the, the done thing mm. in English football. Um, and so there has been a shift certainly uh, in this country because more foreign players, uh, lots of foreign coaches different influences and I think you know I personally think the 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 game has been much improved for that in our own country yeah watching a, a championship game for example now is very different to what it would have looked like 10 years ago of course not <coughs> all sorts of radical changes yeah. for every team but just in in, in various different ways um, yeah but one of the things that you have to remember is that that you have to be able to look at the squad of players that you have mm. and and work with the strengths of the players that you have to try and achieve success so we all pe people want to talk about uh, football philosophies and I, I do get rather um, annoyed at times that people like to pigeonhole people as 
working in a certain style but um, there are lots of very very good English coaches there are lots of people with good ideas a lot of the time uh, and before we started the interview you were talking about um, uh, un the understanding of League 1, League 2 the lower leagues here in, in, in England there are good coaches and good managers working throughout the leagues here what you have to do is work with the players that you have mm. and asking players to do something that they're uh, either not capable of doing or don't understand is one thing but there, there are plenty of players I mean my, my my son's at Macclesfield and I've been to watch them a few times this season since I've been back mm. and uh, you know and Sol Campbell's managing Macclesfield currently you know, I've seen some good games there uh, I've seen some good games in, in, in League 2 there are players who have a, a good understanding and have good de technical ability mm. um, so we mustn't pigeonhole um, managers, coaches, players uh, just because they're the circumstances of where they currently are yeah and, and many of the British managers that you've mentioned well that you alluded to someone like Chris Wilder we talk about a lot on the podcast yeah. In his last five seasons, let's say, with, with Sheffield United, but even previously with, with Northampton, his teams have played different shapes. Mm. They, they've had different ideas uh, in possession. Yeah, yeah. They've pressed. They've sat back. Um, yeah. so, so, so it's something that we've, we've definitely recognised as well. Uh, since you, you, you mentioned you've been to a few Macclesfield games, since you left Leuven. Yeah, well done. In, thank uh, you. OHL. <laughs> OHL uh, in February. Um, how have you been, been spending your time back in the UK? Uh, We've spoken to, to managers who like to get to as many games as possible to stay in touch with things. What's what's your approach? This, unlike no, some of the ones we've spoken it, to, is not your not first that. time. It's not that, for sure. Um, I, when when I'm not working, uh, I mean, look, the, you could say it depends on how you look at it. Some people go to watch games because they actually enjoy going to watch games. Some people go and watch them because they want to stay in people's consciousness and be seen um, not not for me um, my garden's looking rather nice again so spend, spend a bit of time in the garden I do things that I like doing um, I recognize that there is a need to to try and stay in people's consciousness so so uh, and make sure that if there is gonna be an opportunity coming along that people are aware that you're available um, but it, for me it's not it's not a contrived way of doing it for me I know that when I work how committed I am to making a success of a job even if it doesn't work out you know my, my time and my energies is uh, given totally to that job and it means that sometimes you find you're absolutely exhausted not not just physically but mentally and I think it's important to find ways to recharge and mm. so for me uh, I use time when I'm not working to be to to get my energy back yeah. and to really reflect on what I've done how I've done it what's worked what's not worked and the reasons for it and 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 then you have to make sure that you are physically and mentally ready for the next challenge if one comes along uh, and and 
you know the evaluating of of how you work and what you've done is is an important part of continuing to to stretch yourself and to uh, make sure that you're not uh, not putting yourself in a position where where you go stale. Yeah, I imagine that's quite hard to do in a job because of well, well the various responsibilities and and the general. Chaos. No, but it, but it's still something that it's still something that I think is very very important to do as you are working, and I think what you need for that are, are staff support staff with you who are able to challenge you as you work and likewise you challenge them so it's again it there are plenty of ways of achieving success there are plenty of different ways of working and i don't think it has to be um uh, you know one way is the only way it's you you have to be um honest with yourself and you have to work to your own principles and I think you know football is okay we talk about football and football coaching and football management but the things that underpin all that are just the sound values that you live your life by simple as that yeah um, I'd love to hear some stories and and some key influences and some memories from your uh, playing career. <laughs> um, the first question that could be that could be a long conversation. Well, this this is where my questions have to be very you know very important. Make sure that we're that we're hearing as much as we can, but also making sure that we've got some time for for some of the other stuff as well. But you're right, there's a lot to talk about for mm. for for the younger listeners. Mm. Uh, I always like asking. Um, for those who might not have uh, seen you play, how would you describe yourself as a, as a player? So if you were approached by a chairman uh, and you needed to persuade him to, to part with a bit of transfer budget to sign peak Nigel Pearson, um, you were a centre-back, but you know, how would you categorise yourself within, within that position? I was a leader, a captain. Um, certainly not quick, so I had to be... I had to be uh, tactically astute and very um, I was a thinking player um, reliable brave there you go an easy a, I was a I was a I was a, a, a um, look my to, to have a career that spans the length of time and still be playing I, I thought the older I got the better I got so even towards the end of my career where I, I mean I suffered with um, I had to deal with having um, you know, bad knees uh, my left knee in particular which uh, when I was 21 I was told I'd never play again so on my 21st birthday, birthday because I had a, a cruciate um, uh, operation which pretty unheard of back then in 1984 yeah. so you know, those were. Uh, it was a time where uh, my future was very, very uncertain. But uh, you know, I, I retired just short of my thirty-fifth birthday, and I retired when I was playing for Middlesbrough. We'd just got promoted back to the Premier League, mm. uh, and I was playing at a club where uh, it was still going in an upward trajectory. So I had to be. I had to be able to compete still, even though physically I was less able. Um, and so the other 
strengths that I had and like I say leadership's a, an important part but you've got to be able to do the job that you're in the team to do so um, you know, I'm not one for blowing my own trumpet but I think but if you can continue to compete and be valued by the people that you work with and play for um, I think that that is something that I you know I'm, I'm, I'm proud of I think I maximise what I had uh, I wouldn't say I was the best player in, you know I was not the most talented player but I understood what I was and I uh, I understood how to maximise what I got and I think that is that's a strength that can't be underplayed and and the influences in the early part of my career both when I uh, played non-league football to start with I started at Hena Town uh, in what was then the Midland League um, uh, and an introduction to men's football <laughs> was yeah it was tough I, I'm still actually in contact now with my first manager uh, John McCulloch who, who <laughs> I actually uh, messaged him yesterday and uh, I'm still in contact with him and his wife um, and we uh, yeah he was a, a big influence because he he introduced me to to um, non-league football mm. and from there I went to Shrewsbury Town and I have to say that the the learning experience that I had there was absolutely um, fundamental to my career path there on him because uh, I went into what was a coaching culture um, Graham Turner was the manager that signed me um, I played alongside a lot of uh, very good um, senior players who taught me a lot of tricks of the trade which stood me in good stead throughout my career and um, you know when people say uh, and I'll borrow a term from one of my ex-colleagues now um, practice makes perfect practice doesn't make perfect uh, practice makes permanent so if you if you if you practice well then yeah you will improve if you practice badly then you will not get any better and i think it's one of the one of the big things about that culture at shrewsbury town in the early days was the fact that um we relied very heavily on each other and relied very heavily on the team ethic to achieve success and success for us in those days was re to retain what would be now our championship mm. status which was a, a huge thing with a, a squad of about 15 or 16 players um, so we you know those days when people talked about Wimbledon and the crazy gang mentality um, uh, yeah, they they were fantastic at that, but there were a lot of sides, and we were one of them, who who relied very heavily on that sort of mentality and that sort of ethic um, to to uh, achieve what would be success for us. Mm. There are still teams in slightly different guises yeah, um, who have sure. to do the same thing <clears throat> in order to to punch above their weight, so Absolutely, to speak, uh, yeah. in order to to achieve success. Yeah. Um, you were named. Uh, in Shrewsbury Town's all-time 11, so clearly quite the impact. Um, and you went from young pro to experienced pro before being signed by Howard Wilkinson 
Correct. Uh, at Sheffield Wednesday yeah. for £250,000. Uh, did, yeah. you, did you feel making that move uh, within yourself and maybe from how people viewed you a, a, a shift in expectation? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, but can I just can I just say when I signed for Shrewsbury, uh, I think I went for about five thousand quid, and it paid for the lights at Heena Town. So I'm always quite happy to sort of mention that. Um, uh, and, and so is John. Uh, 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 <laughs> John McCulloch would be as well. I'm sure. Um, at, okay, so we played we played Sheffield Wednesday in the League Cup. Um, or whatever it was called in, those, in, in on that specific year and we played them over two legs uh, and Sheffield Wednesday at the year I joined in 87 had uh, had a difficult start to the season um, and needed a centre back uh, and although they beat us over the two legs obviously I had a uh, made Howard's mind up to mm. to to sign me. It was a it was a an easy move to make because although I basically signed for the same money, but it was I signed for an opportunity to to play in the top flight, and uh, uh, and it was a yeah it it was a very good move. I mean I'm still still in contact with Howard now. He's somebody who has been a big influence on my career. Yeah, he signed me, but he was also my boss when I worked at the FA as well. Mm. He was a technical director. And he's somebody who I will still call now if I need advice. Um, uh, you know, so he's a he's somebody who, um, he was towards the end of his tenure at Sheffield Wednesday when, when I signed there. I think back in those days, uh, the way he worked with players, I, I think he'd come to the end of the line, and it, it, later that year he actually uh, went to Leeds and had fantastic success there. Mm. But for me to to go to Sheffield Wednesday, it was a it was a it was a big it was a big move yeah. because um, although we were struggling at the bottom of the league more or less um, there were some really good players and I came into a I came into a, a situation which was quite alien to me really you know there were there were uh, it was a it was a <laughs> not not just the size of the not just the size of the the stadium and the, the number of people that you played in front of but the yeah, just the types of people in dressing rooms, the 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 bigger operation. It was it was a it was a challenge, but I I just basically went in and stayed myself, and yeah, got into the side and uh, and had a had a pretty good pretty good start to my career. Even though I broke my ankle in the in the in, I think it was in March at Man United, uh, broke and dislocated my ankle, so I. I didn't finish the season, but um, yeah, we 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 had a good year. There's two seasons that really stand out, just from from a research perspective, more okay. than anything. Uh, the 90-91 season, yeah, yeah. Uh, in which Sheffield Wednesday lifted the League Cup. Or I should say you lifted the League Cup mm. as captain and man of the match, beating Man United, uh, and were promoted in the same season back yeah. up to the top flight. It was that your best season as a footballer. Ooh, um, it sounds like it doesn't get much better than that. Put it that way. 
but you have to remember. Uh, okay, so so when when Howard left, Peter Eustace, who was his uh, assistant, took over, and and you know, and then Ron took over from from Peter, and we got relegated in the year that I think it was Luton played. Uh, Number of games, you know, it, it was just a, it was just a bizarre season. We got relegated on the last day of the season, and I think one of the things that strikes me about that next year was the fact that the the squad stayed together. There were players who could have left because they had clauses in the contract to say they could leave if we got relegated. They stayed. We were a very close knit group of players. Ron Atkinson managed us phenomenally well. And it was a very memorable season. Yeah, I mean, to I personally think we we should have won the league as well. Yeah. But we, you know, the league cup became such a uh, obsession with us. You know, we were we won it and we won it in April. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic season. Um, and it's one that Sheffield Wednesday fans still remember now. I mean, yeah. I've lived in Sheffield now. For 32 years, and and uh, when I see Sheffield Wednesday fans, they, they still, the ones who are old enough, of course, they still <laughs> they still talk about it. Um, and, and so it was a, it was a fantastic season, but but yeah, f- for sure. And then but then we had a season where uh, we nearly we we nearly won the league. Yeah, so because this, this is the other one. Yeah, that you, you finished third, third immediately after promotion, and yeah. yet there's a few quirks here. Wednesday still found themselves on the receiving ends of the season's heaviest home defeat, a six-one loss to Leeds. Yeah, yeah. The heaviest away defeat, seven-one to Arsenal, and lost both the derbies against uh, the Blades. Yeah, yeah. So fairly topsy-turvy stuff that. Yeah, I I remember going into the game, you know, into the final few weeks of the season, and it, it was. I think we drew at Palace one-one, and I think that more or less uh, it it more or less killed our chances of of of, um, of winning the league. But was it a certain style that you played that meant you 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 were so good? Clearly, the third best team in the land, but you also had these huge defeats. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the game against Leeds was it was a uh, yeah strange strange game. The one against. Arsenal, I, and um, I didn't play in that. I wasn't. I was injured um, at the time there. But I mean, if you look at the stats for that, they were. I think there were. I think it was about. It was one-one with ten minutes to go. Mm. Something bizarre. Freak result. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't explain that. Um, I, I think for the most part, what were we? We were a very. We were a very competitive side. We were we were a good team. We were good. We were a really good team. Um, and yeah, I can't really explain. I'd, I'd be waffling here all day trying to explain results. Okay, uh, you, you, you can't always. But I think what we were, we were a team that had got goals in us as well. I mean, when when you think about people like David Hurst was um, really at the top of his game. In those uh, in in those years, and he was an incredible player. Um, you know, so we got a we got a team which had been together for a while. Um, you know, we were a team with with ability, 
uh, experienced players. You know, mm. you got people like Viv Anderson, uh, Danny Wilson. Um, I think it was before mm, Chris Waddle. I don't think was there then in that year. Maybe the year after he came. Uh, Roland Nielsen would still be there. Nigel Worthington, mm. Peter Shirtley. You know, we we had lots. John Sheridan, lots of really really good players. So it, it's and Carlton Palmer. Yeah. So it, you know, uh, players with lots of experience, uh, and yeah, we were we took momentum into that next year and did very well. There's a lot of things uh, in your career that you get asked about disproportionately, mm. and that I'm mostly trying to avoid. There's two that I can't avoid. Mm. Uh, one is is something we'll touch on later. Your experience with Carlisle, uh, but mm. uh, could you tell me what you remember about uh, a trial? From Eric Cantona uh, at Sheffield Wednesday, were you, were you, were you yeah, around? Was there, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a you could even source a um, a photo, I would think, on um, on the internet when he came to he came to. Uh, I remember the weather was very bad, and so we were not training on grass, and we were training on a place called Aurora, which is just the other side of the motorway t towards Rotherham, on a, on a AstroTurf pitch, not a 4G like now, uh, an AstroTurf pitch. Um, and uh, yeah, he was he was only here for a, uh, two, three days, but with, there was an indoor, there was an, a five-a-side tournament, actually, at the at the arena that we, uh, that we played, he played in it. I mean, he was... I, I did an interview early this year, or it might have been, no, it would be before Christmas, actually. I did an interview with a French newspaper who asked me about about this event, because it's still something that's in people's minds. Uh, <laughs> Classic and sliding doors I, moment. I, I honestly can't answer you with, with uh, anecdotally and give you lots of information on it because it was such a short-lived mm. thing and I think I have to be careful that then I don't look at what happened afterwards mm. to color what I remember because it's not really like that uh, he was very quiet I know he came off the back of there being a lot of uh, you know th there was a, a a story that he'd fallen out with the club uh, and he was looking for a new challenge and he came came to us and was there a couple of days played in this five-a-side tournament and then signed for for Leeds and we didn't yeah. really know too much he just went up up the motorway and Howard signed him like that so and then the rest is sort of history so it's it's an interesting story because I'd be I'm sure a lot of the players in the squad that I played in would probably remember it differently from me. I, I, but for me, it was just one of those. I just remember Chris Woods saying to him, you know, in the mornings, uh, Eric Sava, and he's like, yeah, Sava, and that that'd be about it. You know, it was <laughs> like a, yeah, it was, it was just a very strange event that that, or I think something that didn't happen. But we I remember playing at eleven. 11 v 11 on this on this uh, artificial pitch all three or four goals he was like he, he just came across as somebody who, who was yeah very very good it was very very good <laughs> and it proved to be the case didn't it yeah. i mean not that he probably needed to the, the third club that you played for in your playing career is middlesbrough yeah, yeah. signed by brian robson yeah for 750 grand 
Yeah. Um, and again, and you've mentioned it. There's a lot. There's a lot to discuss. But you were promoted in your first and last season. Yeah. Uh, with Borough, you, you captained the team as you did all of your teams, um, but also led them out at the Riverside for the first time yeah, yeah. after the stadium move. Yeah, yeah. That was a fascinating time for for that club. What was it like being? At the back, at the, in the centre of defence, with, with a, a rotating cast of of characters and stars uh, uh, joining and leaving around you, it was a a privilege, really, because as I've already said, to play to play f- when you're in your thirties, and I think I'd be thirty one when I signed there, thirty thirty one, um, to to play for a club which is going through one of the most exciting transitions that could ever happen at a football club bearing in mind it had in its very recent history bef- prior to me going there had been saved uh, Steve Gibson had um, gone in there uh, and purchased the club and saved it from and then that would have been a real disaster and shame for the football club and the area in particular it was it was brilliant I mean the year that my first year there I I remember I was absolutely amazed when I got the phone call we were coming back from holiday in Cornwall and I got a phone call in the car and uh, <laughs> my wife said it's Brian Robson and I, I went I thought she was I thought she was sort of having me on to be fair <laughs> And uh, but basically it was uh, Viv was his assistant Viv Anderson who had played with it at Sheffield Wednesday and uh, Sheffield Wednesday had given them permission to speak to me the reason I was so amazed is I uh, really only played about two games in the previous year because I broke my leg I broke my leg twice mm. so I, I didn't play for the rest of that season and then Middlesbrough signed me so it was <laughs> it was a big surprise to me and that year there was only one automatic promotion place and we won the league and it was a just a a, a huge tonic to my career mm-hmm. you know because I'd had two years where I'd, I'd become out of favour at, at Sheffield Wednesday fallen out with the manager you know, I I needed a fresh challenge. I've been there seven years. Things weren't, you know, I I don't always reflect on my time at clubs and say, yeah, it was great. It, it's never great all the way through. And and when you're at a place for seven years, as it was at Sheffield Wednesday, and being the type of character I was in terms of, you know, saying what I think, you're not always going to be, you're not always going to be in favor if you're asked opinions and you say what you think <laughs> and it's not what people want to hear you know I'd, I'd come to the end of my time there and so to join Middlesbrough in the circumstances and then achieve the success that we did and be a part of an incredible journey where you know people ask me about my time there I did an interview the other day about it actually and and um, it was so exciting and the mistakes that may have been made there 
were really brave ones. They were. It was. It was just incredibly creative. Uh, you know, for for Middlesbrough to to get Brian as the manager, and the and the dynamics of how it worked with Steve Gibson, uh, Keith Lamb. They they worked very closely. They signed players that nobody would believe mm. would would come. And throughout it all, there was the the soul of the team that underpinned it with you know a group of players who would run through a brick wall for each other it was just an incredible time so yeah we got promoted we got to three cup finals and didn't win them we got relegated on a technicality of being deducted points for not playing a game and then we got promoted again so that was my four years as a summary mm. and I think I played about 120 games mm. and and again suffered with injuries but how, how I absolutely did, loved my time there how did that core of players that you mentioned there um, share a dressing room or mesh with some of the the players that you've alluded to such as Emerson Branca Ravanelli Giannino, um th- there's there's many uh, every dressing room is different and, but Gaza. It, it, and, Gaza, and Gaza well yeah. all these personalities yeah. there's Paul there's, pl- there's plenty of, of history in the game of trouble in dressing rooms m- maybe it, it, with similar group yeah, groups yeah. not mixing but it didn't seem to be as much of an issue there no they and and i actually th- i actually think they quite enjoyed not all of them not all of them did uh, mix but but I, I think what you what you must understand is that that the core of the team um Ran the dressing room. Yep. It wasn't. It, it wasn't the other way around. Um, yeah. I, look, I'm not going to lie that there weren't issues, but you you expect there's going to be some issues because you you get a clash of you know a, a, a huge disparity of, of um, earning power. Yeah. But I, on, I and again, not everybody, but most people just got on with it because you recognise the 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 benefits that players bring, but. Look, it, it was a time that if you spend too much time looking at the negative aspects of it, then you, you waste an opportunity. I think for all of us involved, it was such a unknown experience and probably something that wouldn't happen again. Mm. And maybe, and I don't know, I've not really given it that much thought, but I would imagine it's had you know, quite a big influence on on how players entered the country there on in. I mean, we, for us to have players like, yeah, Emo, Emerson was Emerson was just brilliant. And as a lad, him and Janina were just great. They joined in all the time. Yeah. And they, I think they, well, the fact that Janina went back there for a second spell and he was adored on, you know, he was absolutely adored on side. So, um yeah, it was it was exciting times. It, I, I I can talk about it very easily because it was a because again, as I talked to you earlier about my experiences at Leuven in Belgium recently, for me there has to be an emotional connection as well. So so and and I I'm like that in management now as well. Uh, people ask me about new challenges and what do I want to do next and 
and for me there always has to be an emotional connection where I care about it and I really want to do well and I've had that with all the clubs I've played for and actually I've had it with all the clubs I've worked for as well but you know, people have an image of what I am actually like and they wouldn't understand that as a as a necessary as a statement because they think I'm a miserable um, aloof sort of person but that's not really the case it's uh, you know my my playing uh, my playing career has been very different I suppose in terms of how people saw me to how people see me now as I am as a manager <laughs> That's the end of part one of NTT 20 meets Nigel Pearson. Absolutely fascinating character and, and brilliant to sit down and really get to know him. One of the best bits of feedback we've had throughout this series, whether it was Paul Heckingbottom, Paul Hurst, Michael Appleton, Daryl Clark, whoever it's been, has been a, a feeling from listeners that actually that wasn't necessarily what I expected them to be like. And I think that speaks to how the media surrounding football can often uh, give off the false impression of people uh, and that's what I love so much about this series just sitting opposite someone getting to know them a little bit more a fascinating playing career and some amazing teammates that Nigel played with but his management career is obviously fairly detailed as well from Jimmy Glass's last minute goal for Carlisle to keep them in the Football League to Troy Deeney's goal against Nigel's Leicester team in that famous playoff semi-final Nigel has been through plenty in his managerial career and that's what we find out about in part two. Go and find that once you've listened to this.